Hello, everyone, and welcome to Tabletop Radio Hour, your podcast for everything tabletop. My name is Zach, and here today I have with me Steve. Steve, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. It's great to have you. Uh, Mark couldn't make it this week because of uh, some some previous schedule conflicts, but uh, but last week we had Steve with us, and uh, I thought I'd bring him back. We could we could uh, keep this conversation rolling. Uh, this week is going to be a little bit out of the box for us, uh, just because, uh, well, <laughs> both Steve and I like video games uh, equally Indeed, as much as, as RPGs. And so I think we're going to kind of take a step back and talk about video games a little bit. We're going to briefly talk about um, comparing tabletop RPGs and video game RPGs, just because... Since they are both role-playing games, there are some big differences between them. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, honestly, I'll tell you what. I think kind of the single biggest difference in, in the tabletop versus video is going to be the, the narrative itself. Like in, you know, an actual, you know, sit down at a table, play with people, it's it's all player-driven. And in video game RPGs, it's still, you've still got a character, you're still the one kind of driving the action, but it's it's generally almost always a lot more linear. You can't do anything. In a tabletop RPG, you can do anything. If you want your character to jump on the table and start singing, no problem, you know. Um, in most video games, that's, that's not going to be an option. So... Uh, it's you're uh, you're kind of at the mercy of the writers as to where the story goes, and sometimes that's good, and sometimes you know it's it's not. It's just less flexible. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. I remember Mark and I talked a little bit about it in a previous episode. We just touched on it briefly, but uh, yeah, I remember I said that we uh, we both agreed that it is very linear, and there is less interpretation for doing ultimately what you would like to do. You know, it's kind of at the mercy of the the game developer, like you said, it's mm-hmm. it's definitely something where the story is very linear. Not thinking about games like Skyrim or Fallout or something like that, where the world is open, completely open, and it, the story is driven by where you want to go and when you want to encounter these story these story arcs. Right. You know, right. these stories are still written. And they're triggered by different things, but you have the choice to delay that and go do something else if you'd like to. Yeah. Now, more recently in games, there's been a big effort to make uh, events player-controlled. So a lot of times it started out as sort of like a you-can-be-good-or-you-can-be-evil type of decision-making. It's like you can do the nice thing or the wrong mm-hmm. thing. The you know Mass Effect has the, uh, the dialogue choices if you want to be Paragon or Renegade. But other games, depending on what kind of game you've got, it, they've, they're, they're starting to get a little bit more nuanced. Uh, and I think Witcher 3 goes into this, where you can, uh, instead of just like a white or black choices, they've got, uh, you can make choices in games that will affect things down the road, but it's not necessarily just like be the white knight or the black knight anymore. Uh, and and I, I like to see that, that direction. I think that's something that's really healthy, um, just giving, giving players sort of an, an avenue to kind of do what they want. Right. I think a lot of game devs are are giving players more of an option to do uh, do things that are within that gray area. You know, you can choose to be uh, good in one aspect, but not, I mean, good in one aspect and bad in the other, but that bad choice won't stray you too much to change your overall reputation. 
Right, right. Um, it's always sort of a balancing act as to how much influence your actions have on the world. Uh, in a game like, you know, Grand Theft Auto, you can just shoot people and then three minutes later no one remembers. But, I, like, in other games, it's, you know, if you... I think, you know, the, the Elder Scrolls games, like Skyrim, it's, you know, you pickpocket somebody and then the, the, the guards are chasing you around. and You have to do something to kind of make up for it, if it's go to jail or pay or whatever. And I, I, I kind of like to see that kind of uh, actions and consequences in, in games. Right, definitely. And that's a, that's a good thing that a lot of game devs are doing now. You know, I like that they're giving that uh, permanent change in games. Mm -hmm. You know, so you do something evil in a game and it kind of changes how everybody treats you. You know? Yeah. I I know I've I've been playing a lot of the Elite Dangerous game. Okay. Uh, And, you know, the Elite Dangerous game is a uh, a, uh, more or less a space sim. it's just a space exploration game. You're in a ship. You uh, you go and do things for different factions, and that is very community driven. Absolutely, you know, it is. It is an open world game, and when you when you think open world, you think something like Skyrim or or Fallout. You know, take take the size of those worlds and like multiply it by twenty, because <laughs> this this game world is so huge. Well, isn't it supposed to be can... the size of the galaxy, like like the real worldy size of the galaxy? I thought. No. No. See, well, yes, um, and I think it's maybe expanded a little bit more <laughs> because the galaxy just isn't big enough. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Wow, that's awesome. <laughs> but there are millions and millions of different star systems, and there's even our star system, our soul system, you know, mm-hmm. and so looking at the map and looking at the the star system map for our universe. Yep. So it has our planets and then there are planets going beyond Pluto. Oh wow. So it's like they've been explored and they've been, you know, so there's all this that um in the future, you know, this is what's assumed that it'll be. You know, and it's it's uh it's based around the world or the the year 3300. Mhm. Yep. And uh, right now in game, I think it's 3302 or 3303 or something like that. Have you met the new aliens yet? I haven't met them yet. (laughs) Um, I'm I'm trying. I'm really trying. I watched the video. Not even (laughs) having played this game. I I watched the video of it and I got almost like choked up at how crazy it was. That was amazing. Oh, absolutely. So if if any of you out there know the Elite Dangerous game and the Elite Dangerous uh, lore behind it, there are the the alien race, more or less. I don't know if they're a faction, if they're a race. Nobody knows anything about the Thargoids. But they're called the Thargoids. And uh, recently in-game, somebody was hailed. They were pulled out of supercruise. And they were encountered by aliens. These, these Thargoids. And the community behind this game went insane because this is something that they've talked about they've they've rumored for years and for years and and um it's actually happening in game you know well didn't they tease it out with like an elaborate arg i mean they've been like having hints of this hidden there and there and like the the community has been really kind of like kind of piece things together about these aliens for ages now this has got to be like the greatest payoff ever oh absolutely because you know even in the first game um I believe it, it might have just been called Elite. 
Oh, yes, it was. Yeah. Maybe. That are, that are, was Frontier the second game? Yes. Frontier okay. was the follow-up, so, and then Dangerous is the third. Uh, Dangerous is actually the fourth. Fourth? There was another one? Okay. Yeah, there was another one that I don't, I don't know about. But um, but in the first game, you know, it was it was teased and teased by lore, and um, you find artifacts and stuff like that. And I don't think they've actually well, maybe in maybe in one they actually got to encounter them. But um, I don't think since then it's been encountered in game. Mm-hmm. And the difference be- between those games and Elite Dangerous is. Elite Dangerous is now online, and it allows you to interact with other players, and uh, and you know work with them and everything. And so the the community aspect behind it is going crazy because all these people can get together now. You know, it's not just a solo campaign or a solo sandbox game. That oh, you're the only one that that can experience this. You know, as to where now there could be this giant faction of people that group together and go and fight the Thargoids, if that's a possibility in the future, which is great. Something something tells me it will be. I, I, I heard somewhere that the people are speculating that basically the behavior of the Thargoids is going to be based on the people who run into them. So if you attack them, they'll be hostile. And if the if the community collectively chooses to like not attack them, then perhaps they'll be friendly and traitors. But knowing what I know of online games and communities, I can only imagine that people are going to light those guys up. So... Oh, yeah. definitely. Yeah. If right now, if they had the choice to, I think a lot of people would. Mm-hmm. But the way the way the cutscene worked is um, you you jumped out of hyperspace or you dropped out of hyperspace, and they uh, they found that their ship was disabled every by everything. You know, they couldn't use thrusters. They couldn't use their scanners or anything. Okay. And they they watched this cutscene as this Thargoid alien ship um, jumps out of, of hyperdrive behind them, and I, I don't know if they scan them or if they I don't know what happens. I mean the the uh, video of of people getting uh, getting this interaction is is so amazing and so awesome. You know, being somebody that plays. Uh, it's it's exciting, you know. It's like you you almost can't comprehend what's happening because you're watching this and you're like, what is going on? Honestly, and I think that probably kind of harkens back to the best parts about tabletop RPGs. I mean, I can only imagine if you've been playing this game for a hundred hours and you're just so used to like, okay, here's I'm popping off to BX twenty six to pick up a load of space or done this fifty million times, but I gotta buy my new, you know, thrusters. And you're just watching your, you know, hyperspace cutscene or load screen go and then suddenly poof, you're not in the BX whatever, you're suddenly face to face with something that people have only speculated about in game. I mean that is just it's really crazy, and it's it's super cool. I love to see kind of community-driven, supported, or community, um, uh, yeah, supported events like that that are that are uh, reinforced by the developers. How they can, you know, go and actually like put this in, weave it into the uh, the story, the back lore that they've already got in an existing game like this. Um, and I will tell you what, I'm I'm personally I'm a console gamer. I don't really do much gaming on the PC, but it's got a release date on PS4, so I'm I'm gonna go ahead and pick it up. I think when it comes out. Yeah, um, I'm also a console gamer, and I've got it on Xbox One, and I've been playing for a while. Oh, okay, gotcha. Um, 
Has it not released on, on PlayStation yet? Not yet. No, it's coming out, I think, in two months. Beautiful. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's been on, on Xbox for maybe two years. I picked it up a, a few months ago, and I've just been playing it a little, little bit. And I think everybody who owned it in the past, you know, that, that kind of fell out of playing it, once this video launched, once this video released, everybody's playing it again. <laughs> oh, no, everyone's back into it? Yeah, yeah, because everyone's trying to find it. Now, here's the deal. Like, okay, so... Do people know where to go to kind of trigger these encounters? Are they speculating? Or is it like already common knowledge by now that if you go to this system or pass through this area, you're going to get jumped? The thing is, I think it's random. Yeah? Because I've, I've heard people, you know, they're in, they're in a system that's close to, you know, close to the center. Mm-hmm. And then I've heard somebody that's on the other side of the galaxy. So I, it, might be, it might be based on like your ranks or... Uh, exploration or something okay but you know everybody was saying oh it's in uh it's in maya it's in maya i'm like i've i've heard somebody that that experienced them you know on on the other side of the universe so uh it's not it's not just there (laughs) (laughs) so uh there there really isn't any hard evidence about exactly where it is but um but i think the more people that experience it the the better that information will be because i don't know of all that many people that have it's still um, really so it's, uncommon and it's still a rare yeah. thing to happen okay good good to my knowledge at least i so, think um, that's probably the way they should keep it like kind of trickle it out slowly and then eventually you know i'm i'm sure i don't know is there a new uh, expansion or something planned for it soon is that probably okay um they're coming out with maybe three more Okay. They came out with Horizons, uh, I want to say a couple months ago. Okay. And then uh, that's been out. And I don't know what the next update is going to be because I don't think they've said it. Um, and I think that's the ultimate goal for them. I think they're wanting to uh, progress towards that next Thargoid update. Okay. You know, where where it, they are... Um, they are there are pilots you can encounter, you know, that are part of the Thargoids and stuff like that. That is beautiful. So I'm I'm really excited in a game like this that's so sandbox and so open world and so community driven that uh, it, it's exciting to see where it'll go in the future. Hmm. Now, if I can ask, um, on Xbox, mm-hmm. did it get a physical disc release or is it a download only title? You know, I want to say it's a download only. Okay. Um. There, there might be. Okay. You know, I, I honestly don't know. I, I got it digitally, so. I gotcha. Yeah. No, I'm, um, I've been a collector of video games for years, so I, mm-hmm. I, I, I don't, it's not that I don't download any games that are digital only, but when I've got a preference, I definitely opt to go for games that I can put on a shelf somewhere. Um, it's just the collector aspect in me really needs to have, you know, stuff up there, so. Yeah, I completely understand that. I'm the same way with, with a lot of games, like, uh. A lot of games that have like a deluxe edition that come with extra stuff, I usually get it. Oh yeah, I'm a, I'm a huge <laughs> mark for those. And so, oh, it's a steel book. Oh sure, what's what's an extra thirty bucks? Why not? Exactly. I'm, I'm horrible. Well, if you like Elite Dangerous, now can I take it? Did you have a history in playing the uh, earlier Space Sims, Wing Commander, and things like that? I didn't. No. Uh, okay. Surprisingly, which uh, I I always loved flight sim games on on the PC and stuff like that. Um, when I was in middle school, in elementary school, I loved those games. Okay. Um, 
and then I kind of fell out of it and got more into the the RPGs and stuff like that. Um, and so I played Mass Effect. I played anything under the sun, uh, Dragon Age. Uh, let me turn around and look at my collection. <laughs> <laughs> um, Fallout. Uh, I got the the new Metal Gear Solid game. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, so pretty much anything that was an RPG or RPG driven, okay. I, I usually got it because I love the stories of the Mass Effect games. You know, I got Mass Effect One back on the what was it on the 360 or? Uh, yes, originally 360. And uh, and I loved it. I, I was hooked. So I currently pre-ordered uh, Andromeda that's coming out in March. <laughs> there we go. Of course, yeah. So um, I'm I'm a little bit I'm a little bit worried about Andromeda. I haven't seen considering like March is effectively from a game development perspective like right around the corner. Like if they're exactly. not gold, they've got to be right next to gold. And we haven't seen a heck of a lot of gameplay footage about it yet. Normally, no, we haven't. Normally that's like a warning flag. I don't know if it's going to be good or bad. I'm, I'm I got my fingers crossed. I'm also a big fan of Mass Effect. Um, I played through one and two. You know, I haven't actually finished three yet because people kept talking trash about the ending so much it kind of turned me off but i need to go through and just finish it up you know finish the mission see how it goes um but with andromeda you know if you look at all the things that come with the deluxe edition they've done quite a bit okay you know they've already got stuff planned at least if it's not coming out with the release it's gonna it's gonna be a dlc okay um but yeah, they've they've come up with a lot, and the story arc seems really cool, and it seems like something that'll really work because it's not Shepard anymore. Right, right, and it's that these, I'm these that I'm siblings. fine with. I, I I I love the fact that they're moving on to explore other characters in this universe. It's just a matter of like the thing I'm in love with in Mass Effect is just the world, the setting, the environment. It's you know I mm-hmm. feel like we should be playing Mass Effect you know board games and tabletop RPGs and like it's it's so robust. Um, and it's it's a different take on it. Like it's like I said, what we were saying before, it's uh, like post-apocalyptic or just like kind of Star Trek. Everyone's good, futuristic. And this one's it's sort of halfway in between. It's just it's the future, yeah. but it's not like all cut and dry. It's not one way or the other. Everything's shades of gray. Right, and the whole thing with the Reapers and everything is is uh, it was kind of a controversial topic because you know everything was great and everything was was nice in. Uh, at the end of two, or the, mm-hmm. at the in the middle of two, yeah, and then uh, then these reapers hit, and you're like, whoa, what's happening? Suddenly, yeah, drop everything, and you know we have to deal and with fight this, kind this of galactic, fight. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's kind of like that galactic civil war kind of uh, kind of mindset. Yeah, yeah. Well, and it it is it's it's kind of fun to see that. Like when when things are normal and you've got a setting that's you know normally nice. Like watching everyone shift gears to get on a war footing. Um, and with Mass Effect, it worked out so well because they've got a cast of characters that are just incredible. Like every single person in there is just I want to know what happened to them. I want to know what they're doing. I want to you know. And then to see everyone suddenly just sort of like, okay, it's you know go time we gotta we gotta fight this thing we gotta do this they they like watching them sort of transition from being diplomats or whatever engineers into a war footing is just really really cool to see right i'm not going to give any spoilers but the end of two broke my heart it yes yeah me too me too (laughs) if anybody if anybody out there has played (sighs) mass attack and and gotten through two yeah, you'll, now, you'll experience the um, same feelings. I don't feels know. I've I been have. actually keeping myself kind of in the dark about Andromeda. Truthfully, uh, I want to be surprised by it, and you know, uh, we'll see where it takes it. Like, I've been not kind of 
you know, normally I'm, I'm, you know, knee deep in the, in the hype, but I'm trying to avoid the hype train on this one. So we'll see. Yeah. I, I'm also, I'm not reading as much as I have in the past for different games, but, um, just because I want to experience it all for myself, mm-hmm. you know, whereas people are like, Oh, this is so cool. This is a great aspect of the game. It's like, I want to find that out for myself. Yeah. So yeah. I'm, so I'm not doing as much research as I, as I normally would because, it's not like a brand new concept for a game and I don't think they're changing the engines or anything. So I know that it's a game I'm going to like, you know, with a lot of games in the past, you know, like with Witcher three, I, uh, I didn't play much of Witcher two and, uh, I didn't know all that much about it. Mm-hmm. So I did a little bit of research before I got Witcher three. Um, but yeah, like in, in this case, I'm not, I'm not doing that. I'm not going to do that research this time. I think that's a good idea. I think going in blind will probably be the best way to experience it. Or not right. blind, but blind-ish. <laughs> blind-ish. Yeah, I've I've seen a couple gameplay, you know, mm-hmm. releases because those are exciting. And it's not going to give you give you away any any story. It might just give you uh the look of some new enemies. And, right. And some new abilities, and which it did. And it's it's going to be a cool game. It's going to be a really nice game. Now, my biggest misgiving about Mass Effect in general has always been the the transition from single player to multiplayer. Um, and I felt like in in two and uh, even three, I feel like uh, uh, EA uh, Electronic Arts has been like pushing them towards adding multiplayer content that doesn't necessarily need to be there, and sometimes right. you know at the expense of the single player stuff. Uh, how do you feel about that? Do you do the multiplayer? Because I never touch multiplayer. I played multiplayer on Mass Effect three for a good couple months um back a while ago mm-hmm. and uh it was decent but it was it was kind of like a uh, a call of duty zombies thing so you've pretty much just got waves of of uh of enemies that come and you have to not necessarily fortify but you have to kind of level up your skills okay. it's kind of like you start from ground one and then you you kind of level up and as your character uh as your character levels up you get different abilities but uh, I didn't love it all that much just because I think a game like Mass Effect could use a cooperative multiplayer more yeah. than it could use a uh, an online kind of mob fighting. I, I agree completely there. Yeah. I mean, I, I always feel like if people want to play Call of Duty, they'll play Call of Duty. Stop mm-hmm. trying to make everything Call of Duty. <laughs> like... Right. I don't know. That's, it's it's right, one of my exactly. bugbears is like them kind of forcing multiplayer on on everything. So. Yeah, yeah. I, I but like I said, I super. I I really hope that uh, they put in a more cooperative, like kind of story mode to it, mm-hmm. which I know they probably won't do, because. Let's be honest. Everybody wants it, but they're not going to give it to them. <laughs> well, it would it would allow them to make it a little bit different. I think if you had some sort of progressive narrative based co op that maybe even was independent from the main story, mm-hmm. uh, I understand the reluctance to make uh, the main story co op because you know uh, there's there's some problems there with having different characters controllable. Like, what if this person's central to this cutscene, but they're not playing next week? You know, it's it, it gets a little bit kind of dodgy. Um, right. But I can also see that, you know, it wouldn't take a whole lot. I mean, if you're already doing stuff for multiplayer anyway, you could have a, 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 like a, a standalone set of, of, of co-op kind of um, 
like a mini story, a side story type thing that you can play through with other people co-op. That's it, designed for that specifically. Uh, and I think that would right. also give them a good niche because that's something that's less explored than the usual, okay, you know, Team Slayer, whatever, uh, or the, the Zombies, Waves type mm-hmm. multiplayer. Right. And a lot of things I've seen that aren't so successful with that main story co-op is that uh, one person is on their main story and they want to invite their friend. Oh, their friend is 20 levels higher than they are. Yes. And so, yeah, I mean, you know, if you, if you ever played destiny, that was kind of how it was, you know, um, which is why I didn't love destiny. You know, I played it for a month and I was like, okay, this is, this is enough. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. No, I think everybody who's Uh, really into it gets to that end game state where everyone's sort of plateaued. Um, and mm-hmm. then, then everyone's the same level, but you need to have some sort of a, uh, a balance or rubber band or something to kind of let people of diverse levels play if you want to get new players into your game. Right. Yeah, definitely. And, uh, there's a game, uh, it's a free game. Oh, it's called, it's called Warframe. Warframe. You've yeah. you played it. Mm-hmm. I've heard of yeah. it. I haven't played so, it. So it would be a cool aspect if they did something like that, where you could, you know, you could team up with your friends and then um, maybe something like where missions change. So it's like uh, you go to this, this planet and then you have to do this mission. Well, if you go back a week later, it'll be a different mission. Yeah. You know, Mm -hmm. Um, but that was more of kind of like an MMO type game. Um, But I'm I'm excited to see what they do if they do something co-op. Uh, if not, oh well. Well, I think it can only help. I mean, the the historically the strength of Mass Effect has always been the, the story. I think of the characters. I mean, that's what everyone kind of remembers and talks about. And I think if they would give players a chance to make those characters instead of them necessarily being baked in, and and giving people some sort of reward for doing squad interactions, maybe you meet with the same group of players, uh, you know, to progress through a mini campaign. Um, I think you know, kind of, if the game would facilitate that sort of. Uh, like bonding between real human players, I think mm-hmm. it would be something special. Right, and that kind of brings the whole tabletop party thing to it. Absolutely, which I think a lot, which I think a lot of games need. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, um, going back to Elite Dangerous, since I've been playing it religiously, <laughs> <laughs> um, I joined a, uh, I don't want to say a club, a minor faction. Okay. Um, and they're based out of a system, and and we've got 50, 60 members, you know. And so members of this faction can get together and bounty hunt or go and run trade missions and, and do stuff like that in in bettering the, the faction. Okay. Which is a great thing, and it adds a lot of flavor to the game because Elite Dangerous is really a uh, community-based game. You know, if you're right. playing by yourself you miss a lot from the game. Um, Because I remember when I first got it, that's all I did. You know, I played in solo mode, Mm -hmm. which is still online, but it's, it's just, you you don't see anybody. Okay. And uh, you just, there, there is, there's that lack of communication that elite dangerous needs. Yeah. Um, This is why I compare my, my game system right now with uh with elite dangerous because it is the whole work together aspect 
you know, even if, even if you're in different ships, you're still working together to, to do bounty hunting or to, uh, take this important piece of cargo or this, this important, uh, government official to a different system and, and, oh, you get, you get hailed by pirates and you have buddies to help you, which is a, a great thing that I think the, um, the system needs. Now, uh, regarding like if you were to do this as a table, like like what you're doing with your your uh, your system, mm-hmm. is that going to be something like? Are you going to have an actual GM, or is everyone going to be a player and everyone's doing preconstructed scenarios? Like how how would that actually work? With, um, I really don't know. Honestly, um, I'm I'm thinking the way I'm going to write it is um, each faction is going to have essentially a book, like Mm -hmm. a a set of chapters that you can pick up or drop at any point. Um, So maybe like X amount of missions for this first rank. And then once you pass that rank, you don't go back to those missions. Right, because you've scaled out of them. Right. So, yeah, you've scaled out of them. And then you would move to that next chapter, essentially. So it could have both minor and major quests um, that you could kind of uh, piece in and out, you know, randomly. So it's like, oh, they're at this Federation station and uh, they're third rank, you know. Okay, but okay. then we go to the third rank and I'll pick a random uh, random mission here and boom, there we go. That sounds good. Well, I'll tell you what, it, that makes a lot of sense to me because um, from a perspective of a gamer, like I, from the games I've played, if you're playing a miniatures-based game, uh, a lot of games require that someone sort of be a GM, that someone run the monsters more or less, and that's always right. unpopular. Um, uh, it's <laughs> it's there's there's never a time where like okay because the reason it never works out is because if you do a good job, everyone else hates you. Okay, you've murdered the whole party. You know, congratulations, you're not the least popular person sitting around the table afterwards, like staring awkwardly right. at people. You know, so if you do well, you ruin the evening, and if you do great. Um, or if you don't, if you get like completely stomped, then you're not having any fun either. And it's like, okay, great. You know, like, why am I here at this point? Um, right. a lot of miniatures games have done things to kind of make everybody a player, like to automate the GM, uh, role. Sometimes, mm-hmm. uh, people have used apps. Uh, there's like apps that you can use to kind of, uh, that'll tell you like, okay, these monsters are going to go this way now, or this guy's going to attack. Um, right. and that way nobody has to, it, it's everyone player and, and, and no one actually has to do the, uh, the dirty work, basically. Right. It's like having a bot run the game. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, I think, I think you were just saying about, you know, if you kill the entire party, there's something, there's, there's a concept in Elite Dangerous that when you die, you don't really die, you eject, and you can go and buy back your ship. Okay. You know, and if not, you get bumped down to the, the lowest, you know, the, the first level ship, and you have to kind of work back to get it again. Which is a, which is an interesting concept. Um, I'm probably not going to take it because you know Elite Dangerous already did it. Yeah. But um, that and and it's going to be more of a, a in the RPG sense of it, it's going to be you know a progressive story, and these people are going to be more skilled and and stuff like that. So it probably won't be. A, they're going to have a chance to die every encounter. You know, it's going to be a a more more skilled based. Uh, they have more abilities to take out the enemies that they encounter. Right, right. So. Well, if you were to take, well, if if you're in in games like this, open world kind of player driven games, if you take player driven out to the nth degree, 
you end up with something like EVE Online. Now, are you familiar with <laughs> EVE at all? Uh, I recently downloaded it. I haven't played it yet. Okay. But um, I just wanted to encounter it because I know a lot of people who play uh, Elite Dangerous talk about EVE. And uh, I just wanted to experience it for myself, but I haven't had a chance to yet. I really don't know all that much about it. The two get a lot of comparisons because Eve is basically, I mean, almost all of the the content in it, I mean, all of the meaningful content is player-created and player-driven. So it's, there's no, I mean, they, they do have, like, you know, stuff you can do in single player, but that's... Honestly, you know, at this point, like no one's really playing for that. Everyone's playing for for politics. So they've they've set up these corporations or guilds or whatever, and uh, like players make their own factions. So it's not a matter of like, uh, okay, what 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 what's this NPC telling me to do? It's more a matter of you know, this guy Bob in in wherever is is you know Kentucky. Uh, he says that we're moving the headquarters of our our corporation to some other system. So I've got to get up at four in the morning. And we've all got to, like, you know, do a mass migration across this so that we don't get attacked while we're moving our headquarters um, before our timers refresh. And I don't know. I'll tell you what. Eve scares the pants off of me. I would never play it in a million years. Okay? Just, because my, my general aversion to multiplayer is taken to the crazy extremes when it comes to an environment like that. That said, I can spend hours and hours reading about the stuff that goes on to Eve. I find it infinitely mm-hmm. fascinating. So... But everything that happens there of meaning is is player driven. So they have these huge okay. wars where people lose thousands of of real world dollars worth of ships permanently, um, mm-hmm. because somebody made some dumb mistake and or you right. know they like like things pop up sort of randomly like this like a battle start between these two big you know hundreds of people on each side um, because there was a miscommunication over something or somebody said something bad about someone else's girlfriend. Um, <laughs> It's it's insane, but it's and and they really foster that in the game. The 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 creators give you opportunity to like you know make yourself uh, a spy. If you want to be a spy, you make up a character, you know, manufacture yourself a, a life as a player, a fake player, and go infiltrate one of these other factions. And and once you've gained their mm-hmm. trust after many months, and and they they really you know you can steal all their stuff and and stab them in the back and open up their shields so that they get destroyed by the faction you were really working for all along. That sort of right. thing is so off the map when it compares to like you know a scripted game like Skyrim or Mass Effect or whatever that you know it's it's really hard to compare that to anything. Yeah, definitely, I can understand that. Um, yeah, but like I said, I I just wanted to experience it to see why people are playing Elite Dangerous versus Eve or Eve versus Elite Dangerous. You know, just kind of seeing that comparison now that I've gotten into Elite Dangerous some more. Okay. Um, the way Elite Dangerous is, it is community-driven, but not 100%, which okay. is, I think, what makes it successful. Mm-hmm. Um, like this faction I'm a part of. you know, They are... I think there are ways to get your minor factions into the game permanently. Okay. And I think they've done that. Okay. Um, which is a cool thing, because Elite Dangerous has the has the reputation of being a always in production game. Right. You know, because things, you know, constantly need fixing and, and, uh, things expand so much all the time that it's always changing, which is, um, both a good and a bad thing. (laughs) Okay. Because, you know, having a set game like, like Mass Effect, you know, that's a, that's a set game. 
you know, it's not going to change unless there's a bug fix or anything like that. Um, but it also doesn't give a lot of room for new things to happen. So it's like, it has that linear game feel. Right, right. Where, whereas Elite Dangerous, you know, this could happen, or, or something could be one way today, but in two days, somebody could have done something, and that's not around anymore. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So yeah. it's it's influenced by what the characters do. And, you know, in Elite Dangerous, there are these community goals, and so these different factions have these different goals that they they can do, and everybody's pretty much trying to compete to expand their faction or whoever they're aligned with, you know? Because mm-hmm. there's there's the Federation, there's the Empire, and then there's Independence. So, you know, the Empire could be going to expand to this system, you know, and it's like, okay, so so maybe the uh, the Federation hears about this and they want to stop it from doing that, you know? So it's kind of like a, a back-and-forth type game. Okay. In which it's like the community goals refresh every five days or something like that. I gotcha. Okay, but, yeah. Um, I've, yeah, I've played games like so that before. Yeah, so it's it's a game that's always expanding and always moving forward towards a new goal, which is what I like about it. Now, to take this back to kind of tabletop RPGs, what have you, like, um, I've played MMOs before where, uh, you know, certain players or certain guilds or groups will actually roleplay RP, you know, their entire game. So they're not, mm-hmm. you know... Bob from Kentucky anymore. They are now, you know, Lothor, the Paladin, whatever. Um, right. Have you done any of that? Are you familiar with that? Or do they do that in Elite? Um, I know of some people that do it in Elite, but um, other than the factions and, like, talking about what's next, I haven't really experienced that all that much. And okay. it's something I'd be willing to do if there was anybody out there to to do it with. Because, you know playing all these tabletop RPGs, I enjoy role-playing, you know? Yeah. And uh, it's something that I'm open to, you know, but I haven't experienced it yet. Okay. Um, I've never done it per se. I've never been the person actually RPing, uh, but um, I've played some of the the MMO Final Fantasy games, 11 and and 14. Mm -hmm. And uh, in those, there's, you know, generally there'll be like, you know, certain groups of people that, that are, are you know very expressive like they're doing the whole rp thing and i can i can really uh, i can respect that like when they go out there it's like you know i see them and they're they're not just like you know tapping their macros and casting their fireball <laughs> they're you know all florid with it they're <laughs> you know they're really going to town and and you know pitching this 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 character that they've created and i love to see that i think even if you don't do it um even if you're playing a game where you're not the one who's actually doing it i think it adds to the environment um it, it mm-hmm. makes the game more real for everyone not just the people who are doing it at Right, and and it makes the world more immersive because you actually feel like you're in this world uh, interacting with these different characters instead of interacting with these different players. Right, exactly. Um, and I think a lot of people with Elite Dangerous, they find it too tactical to do that. Okay. I mean, it is a very tactical game, and you know there, there are, you know, you could roleplay it 100%, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but I think a lot of gamers that are video gamers and they don't have a past in tabletop RPGs don't do that. I think you're right. I think there might be something maybe even generational there. Like, uh, all, every person Mm -hmm. who RP'd in a video game that I know, 
um, always started off playing D&D or playing like tabletop RPGs. And I feel right. like we might be kind of losing that as we go forward. Um, you know, there's like, you know, kids today, stay off my lawn. But, you know, a lot of people just don't have the patience or, or the the inclination to actually create characters of their own. Um, or the imagination. Yes, yes. Because yeah. a lot of people who grow up on video games um, and only playing video games, they lose that creativity because everything's already laid out for them. Everything's, you know, with all these linear storylines, they are just going step by step through a story. They didn't create their character unless they chose to. Um, they didn't make a backstory for this character. This character's backstory is already written. It's already made. Right. And so all this stuff is routine, I think, for a lot of gamers because it's always happened. You know, playing Legend of Zelda when I was six on the, the Nintendo 64, mm-hmm. that's a linear game. You know, all the lore is already there and it tells you that. Right. Mm-hmm. So it's not like, oh, I'm this kid that woke up. How did I get here? It tells you, you know, so. Well, and I, I think that's sort of the difference in the mindset right there is, is do you want the story to happen to you or do you want to happen to the story? I mean, you know, it's, and it's, 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 I think it's less a matter of, of um, maybe uh, uh, newer gamers, like uh, not being interested in that and more in a, 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 an issue of they didn't even realize it was an option. Like wow, that this is something that can actually be done. Like, uh, yeah, it's 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 always kind of cool if somebody like to see somebody sort of get into that for the first time. Um, mm-hmm. It just and this is mainly from the tabletop perspective. Uh, but you know, when when somebody's like, "What do you mean? What do I want to do?" Like, <laughs> you know, uh, we, we 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 you said we just right. woke up at this inn one morning, and and you know, like, what do you mean? Like, where do we go from here? Like, <laughs> you know, it's the, they, because they're used to the quote-unquote NPC telling them what the next quest is. Yeah, yeah. They're, like, looking around the bar for somebody with an exclamation point over their head, and... (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Just not like that. (laughs) Yeah, this this all brings me back to that Robin Laws quote that I said in probably our first episode. You know, role-playing games are the only literary medium where the author and the viewers are the same person because in, in tabletop RPGs, you are creating the story, you know, even though you're a player, you're creating that story. Yes. And so you are in sense, the author of it. And in video RPGs, that's not the case. There's already been an author. You can't, you, you maybe think you can change it, but it's all been an option that the author has given you. Mm-hmm. You know, say you're reading a book and uh, if you want to choose to do something, it says, oh, go to page 37. And that's where the story picks up. You know, the story's already written. Yes. So so essentially, in these linear video games like Mass Effect or Fallout, there are – there. think of it as a book that's in front of you. you all the pages are full. There's no blank lines that you can write things in. I mean, all the dialogue's chosen for you. You you just have a choice of what dialogue to say. And it's linear, you know. There's no way of changing this story to make it different. 
And I think that that's kind of by it's it's a limitation of the medium at this point that that the best made game, the best writing you can get, like the best thing that that game writing can kind of hope to achieve is to give the illusion of free will, like the illusion of absolute choice. Um, Absolutely. And when they do it really well, it's you know convincing and great. Have you have you are are you familiar with Bioshock? I am. Um, I definitely am. Have you did you play the first one? Yes. Okay, I, I think that's Several a great times. example of that. Like, and without giving anything away, like the events of the story as they kind of un- unfold, like by the time you hit sort of the big critical mass and then everything happens, you you start to kind of question your own actions. You're like, wow, mm-hmm. did did I really have you know a choice? Like, was this what was going? Like, and and from the game's perspective, it knows where you're going. It's it's a very linear game. But mm-hmm. as a player, you think, wow, I've, you know, it's, I've been manipulated all this time. You know, I, I <laughs> you know, was I, was I really like, did I actually have any agency here? It's, it's a really great way to kind of force you to, it, it pulls the players into it. it. It does a great job. But that, that illusion of choice is, I think, probably the best thing you can hope for in writing. Of, of yeah, games. absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. In video games, a lot of them, a lot of the good developers, they give the the appearance of having a choice. You know, y- yeah. you, you ultimately can have a choice, yeah. But it'll still put you along this linear path. Maybe you'll take a shortcut or, you know, something like that. But ultimately, everything is linear. Mm-hmm. Um, a good example of this, uh, there is a web browser game on, on the PC that is called Magic Duel. Okay. And I came upon I, I came upon it randomly one day. I was maybe looking through Reddit or something, and somebody was talking about it. But it's a linear game that is very, um, very community driven as well. So you can get to a point, and uh, and you can have people that are online help you or give you hints. Or it, I, I haven't gotten too far into it. I've maybe played for an hour, but it seems like okay. a really cool game. You know, it's just like kind of like a point and click. You know, there are clickable things um, on the on the pictures, and it'll tell you what it is or what you can do. And then you can scroll down and, and look at pe- other people that are online, and you can live chat with them. Okay. So, um, I think it's a fairly old game. I don't know when it was when it was put together. Um, it sounds pretty cool. It's it started in two thousand five. But um, but yeah, it's like it's kind of like a storybook game where uh, you go from point A to point B, and then there are these kind of mysteries here and there. So okay, it's like you have to kind of figure out what to do next. And you, and it's do like you if group you up with stuck, players to do it, or is it is it uh, more of a, a solo, but you're asking other people for help? It's it's more of a solo, but you're asking other people for help. Okay, okay. Um, but it's a really cool game. It's uh, it's definitely worth looking up. Well, it sounds like fun. There's a game I played uh, a while back that was a browser-based one, and I'm struggling to remember the name of it. But basically, the entire game uh, reproduced. Uh, well, it was it was it was <laughs> it was a browser-based game that that was you as a player playing a tabletop uh, RPG around a table <laughs> with other people, and it, it was all single player. 
so there weren't actual other people, but uh, it had this sort of card-based mechanics, and, like, your character was a little cardboard standee that you moved around this sort of isometric kind of three-quarters overhead board like you were playing uh, a turn-based D&D miniatures game. So That's really cool. They'd have like little little cardboard skeletons were all over the board, and you'd move your little cardboard <laughs> barbarian around, and and it was actually a really slick game. But man, now I'm kicking nice. myself because I can't remember the name of it. Uh, we we could probably but, do some research here after after the show and uh, try to figure it out. Okay, give a uh, shout out for it. Yeah, yeah, but but that was yeah. I, I thought the main thing I thought was really cool about it was the fact that they're acknowledging and trying to at least. Uh, uh, reproduce that that feeling of tabletop around the table. Like these are the games that you play as as an actual RPGer. So right. And and yeah, the, and the narrative was like it, like everything looked like the old style D and D modules. And like sometimes you know like a like there'd be like a, a pizza stain on like one of the character descriptions <laughs> or something like that. It was it was just really That's cool. Awesome. There were a lot of shout outs. Yeah, it. it was neat. There's a lot of there's a lot of flavor with it. Yes. Yes. Yeah, that's I love games that do that. You know, there's it's not just a vanilla game. It's something that that has some character and has some uh, some real aspects of it. You know, in that sense, it's like oh, you're all actual gamers, and maybe you had pizza two weeks ago, mm-hmm. but you you dropped a pepperoni on your character sheet. Yeah. Uh, now, now there's a there's a grease stain on your character sheet from where you dropped the pepperoni. You know, it's like that adds that little flavor that that kind of fluff. More yeah. Or less. Little yeah, it's 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 kind of light history, but who hasn't been like, okay, does anyone remember like how much money I had because you know the dog ate my character sheet or something like that? <laughs> exactly, mm-hmm. exactly. I was I was taking it out of uh, of my bolt my my binder and it completely ripped off, and then the wind took the took the piece of paper away. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, you know, and that's that's why I love tabletop RPG games because there's this uh, this element. You know, the uh, improvisational kind of fun teasing element of it where, you know, you could make something up on the spot just to be funny. Yes. You know, and yes. then and then you do that not to be permanent, but two years later, people are still, you know, recalling back to it and making those jokes again. So, I mean, it, it adds that, uh, hell, that community aspect of it and uh, the the kind of playfulness of it. Yes, yeah. I think that's it's really kind of hard to produce anything except for uh, an RPG. Uh, Card Hunter, by the way, finally came back to me. It's it, Card Hunter was the name of the game I was trying to remember. Card Hunter. I'll definitely yeah. uh, write that down and give it a give it a look. See if you get a chance. It's a fun one. Notes. <laughs> <laughs> um. So uh, tell me. What's you, your favorite game or game series? Um, wow. See, the, <laughs> um, I've played, like, as far as video games go, or... or mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, you know, I can't even say favorite. But, like, things kind of move in cycles. Like, when you start playing something, I got really into Mass Effect for a long time. I, more recently, mm-hmm. I, was, I was fairly into Dragon Age, although, admittedly, that never pulled me in like Mass Effect did. So, um, right. let's see. Uh, I've been a fan of the Final Fantasy since I was a wee tyke. Um, those usually work out well, although, like, I find that the older I get, the less patience I have to sit down and play a, a single-player RPG for 60 hours. Right. Um, it's, but no, I, I honestly, I like everything. I just finished, uh, I just finished the Doom, the remake of Doom. 
uh, which was mm-hmm. an incredible experience if you get a chance. If uh, They did an amazing job with it. Uh, they've kind of reinvented it, and the, the focus, at least on the single-player campaign of it, um, they just did a really great job of sort of uh, re- uh, reimagining and, and to an extent um, kind of concentrating the first-person shooter experience um, that you had like way back in the day. They've taken all the things that made it fun incidentally back then and kind of codified that into like in-game mechanics to really kind of embrace what was so beautiful about the original Doom. So, Okay. Um, but yeah, the Wing Commander games, um, I've been a, I was a big fan of those from way back. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, pretty much everything. It, it's, it's hard to say, honestly. It's, uh, I don't know. There's, there's a lot of good stuff out there. There really is. Yeah, definitely. I, I can agree with that. Um, I'd probably say my favorite game series would probably be The Legend of Zelda. Okay, that's just fair. Just because, you know, I started with Ocarina of Time as, like, the first video game I played. You know? Wow, wow. You picked the right uh, one to start with, I gotta say. I know, <laughs> Good I know. job. And, and then I played Majora's Mask, and I was like, what is this? Mm-hmm. What? <laughs> I, probably, I probably got 60% through Majora's Mask and got stuck. Yeah, you know? okay. I, I don't think I've, I've completed it. Even with the strategy guide. They Even were... I had to, I had to pick up a strategy guide, okay. but I still didn't get through it. I it I remember so... really enjoying Majora's. That was fun. Yeah, it was a good concept for a game. You yeah, know, I love yeah. the concept. It's like you've got to do this in three days, you know. Mm-hmm. But uh... the, the Groundhog's Day aspect of it, and I think that turned a lot of people off because it wasn't quite as as kind of traditional Zelda y, but. Yeah. They had some, it had a darker tone, and it just, I don't know, I really enjoyed, yeah, honestly, I pretty much enjoyed every Zelda game I've ever played. I can't say there's, like, been a really bad one. Oh, wait, yeah, no, there was the same. DS one, so let's forget about the DS one, so those weren't so good. No, 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 no I, don't, I don't even care. <laughs> okay, yeah. <laughs> I, mean, I, haven't, I haven't played all of the games, you know. Okay, I, okay. Um, you know, I haven't played the handheld ones, mm-hmm. except for... You know, I played Four Swords okay. on, uh, on uh, what was it, Game Boy Advance? Yeah, yeah. And that and, was a decent uh, one. If you had people to play with, it was really fun. Right, right. It was more of a friend's game than a, yeah. than a true story game, you know. But uh, I played a little bit of Minish Cap. Okay. Um, but I think that's the only handheld ones I played. And I've played all the console ones. So. Okay, okay. Well, you've hit the high points then. I think you're probably in good shape. Definitely, and I'm very excited for uh, Breath of the Wild. Oh, I can hardly wait. I'm trying to figure out where to sign up for my ridiculous comes-with-a-statue version of that now. I don't know. <laughs> I'm like, right. shut up and take my See, money. They, they have a comes-with-a-statue, and then mm-hmm. they have one that comes with everything else but the statue. So I'm thinking about getting the, the one that has everything else but the statue. I think that would be the sensible choice, like right there. Like, maybe, maybe. <laughs> clearly, that's because not what, what is, I'm doing. What but... is the statue version like? 150 200 bucks uh no i think it was 130 basically it was a difference of 30 bucks between the deluxe edition that came with the soundtrack and everything and the one with the statue mm-hmm. so it was like do i really want a statue of master sword for 30 bucks uh, apparently i do yeah. <laughs> <laughs> i don't know I've, I've i've got this ongoing internal debate about the like five times now i've sworn off getting games with statue things so it's like right waste of space i don't need it how this thing end up in my cart again? Like, <laughs> so <laughs> right. it's a sickness. Um, okay, so uh, switching over to—I didn't mean to do that. 
<laughs> switching over to Nintendo, what do you think about the Nintendo Switch? Uh, I think it looks good, um, and I'm a little bit cautious because the rational side of me says this is a horrible idea. Um, this happens every time Nintendo announces anything, is I look at whatever's coming out, like mm-hmm. the Wii or the DS, every single time. I'm like, that, I can't imagine how that's going to be fun. And then I play it, and I'm like, they are smarter than me, this is amazing. Um, so I'm, <laughs> I'm not even going to say this is a bad idea, or they're, you know, they don't have a great launch lineup or whatever, because they've kind of proven me wrong so many times that right. whatever crazy logic they apply to these things, it seems to be accurate and fact-based and whatever my rational brain says about knowing how to play video games is is um clearly (laughs) i don't have a track record for it so definitely i love (sighs) i love the aspect of the portable console Mm -hmm. yep but not being a handheld game yeah yeah i will say that 3ds is a handheld game but the switch you can't compare the switch and the 3ds because it's not even the same thing right right I, I love the concept that they're finally unifying those two kind of halves, the portable games and the console games, um, mm-hmm. and that this kind of next generation, they're just going to have games. Um, I think it's going right. to save a lot of people a lot of time. Like, there's, I've played lots of games where it works better as a portable. Um, sometimes, you know, when you're sitting mm-hmm. around, I don't know if you're familiar with the Monster Hunter series. Um, yes. It's that's a great example of a game that's really only you're going to only really have like use that game to the best potential if you're sitting around with three other people and you're all on your sofa or whatever and you're just beating the crap out of some huge dragon. Um, that's really kind of how that one shines. And when they've sometimes the consoleized versions, you know, you've got online, but they the mic support's janky and you know it, it doesn't it doesn't it doesn't shine like it does on the portables. Well, now you don't have to. Uh, you can split the difference. It's like you want to play certain parts of a console, go for it. Then pop it out and go sit in someone's sofa and play with them. Um, I think it's a cool way to kind of embrace that, especially since the local co-op aspect of it is really sort of the last bastion of consoles over PCs. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, like it's, you can do what you know, say whatever you want. You can bash Nintendo if you want, because it's just for kids. But you know, you get you get five people sitting around playing Mario Kart, and you are going to have a good time. There's, it's not even exactly. an option. And there's a reason why no one's made Mario Kart for the PC because you know you, you can't stick five people around a laptop, or if, even if you play it multiplayer, it's a different experience. It's you know, right? It's not the same as having everybody in the same room. Yes, yes. And the the thing with that, I, Nintendo has always been about cooperability. Mm-hmm. And about having a fun time and having a good time with everybody. And, uh, you know, that's what uh, Nintendo Land did on the the Wii U. Yes, it did. You know, and that's what Wii Sports did on the Wii. Mm-hmm. And, and before that and before that and before that. So um, I think that's what they're kind of striving to do. To kind of have the ability to have those party games. Yeah. And, you know, that's what, like, uh, Mario Party did, mm-hmm. you know. I I remember playing Mario Party. What did they have one on the on the sixty four? Yes, they have three. Probably. Yeah, yeah they've got. Yeah, <laughs> that, well, that's where it started as on uh, sixty four. I think one, two, and three were on the sixty four. Right. But yeah, it, um, and Nintendo's a genius for doing that because yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, what gaming is now of day nowadays is uh, having everybody have fun together you know absolutely and, uh, it's just nintendo every every day nintendo gets one step closer to doing that more successfully 
Yeah, yeah. Than anybody else. Well, and I've got I've always had sort of complaints about their their UI, and they never really seemed to master online like the other you know platforms oh, of course. did. Um, but I mean, they do seem to have at least an idea of what they can do that other people can't. Um, mm-hmm. They've got a really good grip on like you know what people love. They love our games, so we're going to keep making our games awesome. Like there, there, there's never been a bad you know first person like a Nintendo Zelda because they're just not going to do that. They've like you know every other series you know they can drive it to the ground. Like you know Assassin's Creed, they're like we got to make these ones you know every year, and they start feeling the samey and that sort of thing. But Nintendo mm-hmm. takes such good care of their IP, their properties. Um, that people are still dying for it. Like, years later, decades later, people are like, when are we getting another Metroid? When are we getting another F-Zero? Um, exactly. People don't do that for other systems. I mean, for other, you know, they're not as beloved as, as properties from other publishers. And I think other publishers like Bethesda or you know other big companies like that, BioWare, um, they have so many people on their team and they want to get the most successful products out there and they want to you know, they're kind of all about making money. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they're focused on having more content than better content. Yes. Well, so, like with Nintendo, how long has it been since Skyward Sword came out? Um, It's been... Wii what, U launch, right? Yeah, like five years, I think, at least. No, no, so, more than that, because it was on the Wii, so, yeah. Yeah, it was on the Wii, and then it launched on the Wii U. Uh, um, S- Skyward was not on the Wii U yet. Um, The... The Breath of the mm-hmm. Wind and the Twilight Wasn't Princess it? have been on the Wii U. Skyward Sword, as far oh, as I know, right. unless it's on the virtual console, they haven't. Which I would love for them to do because I haven't actually played Skyward Sword yet. But, <laughs> um, you but yeah, oh, yeah, I, it's, I, I it, highly the Skyward Sword that. was. What's that? I, I highly suggest it. It's okay. a great game. Okay. Yes, I, I will play that. I need to get caught but, up, like actually. Was... This whole Zelda fever has got me kind of fired up to play whichever, like, two or three that I haven't actually played yet. I need to go and, like, track right. those down. And, yeah. Yeah. So um, I, I I was saying, you know, how, how long has it been since the, uh, since the last game came out? So since that last game came out, they've been working on this new game. <laughs> and that's, that's what other companies need to do. You know, other companies want to get it out fast and then... Uh, then have it be successful, but then it tanks. You know, they yep. make they make those that percentage of initial sales, but they don't make those sales that have people suggesting it to their friends and then their friends go buy it, you know, and then they suggest then. So the way Nintendo does it, they spend a whole lot of time, probably more time than they need to, on a game to make it as successful as it needs to be to get people that much more excited for it. And then it lives up to, to all the time that's been wasted, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I I think a big issue, if you're a publisher, I mean, they've got so many millions and millions and millions of dollars tied up in the R and D, these cycles that take years and years, they have to, they play it safe almost by necessity. Like they, they, you know, say, okay, we, we need to get our money back on this game. What's the last game that made this kind of money? What, what kind of features did it have? What was its genre? What kind of flavor did it have? Like what the setting? They 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 really have to kind of they're overanalyzing to kind of make sure they play it safe. And mm-hmm. around the time when the when I got into the PS4 launch, 
um, you know, I, I, I grabbed a PS4 and I, I grabbed a couple of the, the launch games for it, like maybe like four or five of them. I was like, I was full in on it. I was like, this would be great. And I realized they're the same game. Like I'm playing the mm-hmm. same game five different times. So like the new Lord of the Rings game, which is fun. And, and uh, the new right. infamous game and whatever, they're all open world sandbox games that are incredibly similar. I'm, I'm all running around a map and I'm picking up little icons and hunting for doodads and collecting so-sos and whatever. It, it, I'm like, it's, it's, I've got four copies of it now. Like it's exactly, <laughs> I was getting kind of burned out on open world sandbox, but that's what they had to do to guarantee they're going to make enough money for their shareholders. So, right. Yeah. And even talking about the same company, take destiny and then yep. did the division. Yeah. Yeah. It's the exact same game reskinned with a couple different controls. Yeah. Slightly different theming. So, and that's about it. Yeah. 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 I mean, it's just a, a set in a different place in a different time, mm-hmm. you know, but it's, you're doing Yeah, and, and you know what? Honestly, I wouldn't be surprised if that trend continues. Like pretty soon you're going to see Destiny in the Wild West and Destiny, you know, wherever else they think they can, you know, make it work and <laughs> and make some money off of it. So right, it's unfortunate. And I, I think that's kind of the trap you get in with big budget games. And the alternative as a player to that is to actually go and seek out smaller indie stuff. Um, or like Like Elite Dangerous. Yes, exactly. Elite exactly. Dangerous started on Kickstarter. You know, mm-hmm. it like the Elite franchise started on PC, and so it has this following from all the PC gamers. But to somebody like me and a, a bunch of other people that saw it on the Microsoft Store on on Xbox One, they also have that. It it had the um, the ability to catch people's attention that wasn't a part of their following. Right. Well, it also helps that um, first-person space flight sim games um, have really... There's not a lot of choices. There's an audience there that remembers those games and loves those games, and and there's a lot of cool potential there. But there's not a lot of options as far as that genre goes because all the AAA titles that are coming up are are open-world sandboxes, you know, GTA clones. So I think there was an underserved... uh, War games. Or war games, yeah, yeah. First-person shooters, that sort of thing. Um, and I, I feel like there was an underserved market of the uh, population out there that really was sort of waiting for another really beautiful uh, first-person flight sim uh, to kind of leverage the you know current technology and 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 remind them of of what they uh, what they used to love about Elite. Right, definitely, and uh, I would have loved to be a part of that original community if I would have known about it before, you know, but not mm-hmm. being a heavy PC gamer in the past, you know, that wasn't, that wasn't a thing, you know? Right. Right. Well, also there at this point, there's also, um, now are you familiar with star citizen? I'm not, but I've heard, I've heard a little bit about it, but I haven't heard all that much about it. Is it still on Kickstarter? <laughs> um, yes, it's been in Kickstarter for like six years now. Um, it's, it's kind of famous for its, it's the development hell that has created it for itself. Like from, mm-hmm. it's a victim of its own incredibly successful Kickstarters. So like what happened is, is, you know, it's, 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 again, it's a, a flight sim PC game. And, and this one's made by, uh, uh, Chris Roberts, the guy who originally made the wing commander series. And right. um, he kickstarted a new project. He's like, okay, I'm out from under the studios. Um, you know, EA killed Orion. So he's like, or Origin. So he's like, you know what? I'm, 
I'm just going to do my own thing. I'm going to make basically a, a spiritual follow-up to Wing Commander. Let's kickstart this and see how it goes. And apparently it went like $3 million successful. And he's like, right. wow, okay, so not only have we, apparently I'm making a place, uh, flight sim, I'm, I'm, I've got to meet all of these like crazy, progressively more and more insane stretch goals that he put up there for Kickstarter. Right. And because he kept... Because all these people were spending more money and then... He had so much excess that he had to make so much, so many stretch goals. Exactly, yeah, and it kept getting like like bigger and farther afield. And I think after a while, he was sort of daring people to. He's like, you know what? Let make it, you know, multiplayer online. Make you know all these all these different components, which are effectively like other games entirely. Um, mm-hmm. Like so, this this one project to you know make this uh, the space game uh, has is now attempting to become everything for everybody, and. Um, They've got, I mean, it's been going back and forth uh, with developers. They actually bought out, like, uh, or they've, they've, they've hired on a, a huge number of people from uh, the, the old Crisis Engine team, uh, because that's what they're, they're kind of glued to that at this point. And, and like, they're still, like, the single-player campaign for it still isn't done. Like, it's, they're still working on it. Um, wow. It, if, it, if it ever gets done, it's going to be amazing. And honestly, even if it gets halfway there, it's going to be something to look at. Um, but because it's been so sprawling, because there's like there's an arena thing and there's a multiplayer thing and there's a, a single player thing and like it's it's so you know it's 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 at this point it's almost like Civilization with real time space combat. So <laughs> I don't know what right. they're how that. they're going to pull that together, but if they do, it's going to be something awesome. So is that going to be a PC only game or is it going to be on consoles? Do you think? You know, I ordinarily I'd say PC only, but there's been so many stretch goals I wouldn't be surprised if one of them was like it'll make an appearance on Game Boy or something. Like <laughs> it's it's it, it, like it, the moon and the stars have been promised. I can't imagine that at some point a PS4 port wasn't one of the things that got like incidentally promised, but um oh, of course. Yeah. But one never knows. And I, like, I think it's yeah. Like Elite Dangerous when they were on Kickstarter, they didn't originally plan for console version i don't mm-hmm. believe and uh i think the more successful it got the more funds they had to to do the research for that and then made it happen you know and now they're they're working towards uh playstation 4 now so right right and i'm looking forward to it yeah i think they got so much positive feedback from the xbox people when they launched um that they were like okay we need to we need to now work towards Sony and get it on PlayStation. Well, I think when they only, hit Xbox, they realized that they were they had less of an uh, they had more of an untapped market there. Like with PC, you're splitting your crowd with uh, with Star Citizen. You're splitting your your audience with Eve Online, who want the more you know social. Um, and there's still a, a a very big broad core there that's on PC, but they were they were they didn't have the whole sandbox themselves. Whereas with mm-hmm. uh, with Xbox, I mean, there's nothing out there for consoles that does anything like a, like elite. So once no. they hit that, they're like, wow, suddenly, you know, they've got X number of, of people that are like suddenly joined in on day one and, and they're all ours, you know, we're not, we don't have to split it with anybody at this mm-hmm. point. Right. Exactly. And, and I think, uh, you know, I think their next step after, after going to PlayStation is linking servers cross platform. Yes, I think that would because be because that's something that a lot of people are looking forward to. Yeah, yeah, and this used to be something that was like a strict no-no, like for years, decades, even you know, like cross console between PCs and 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 uh, 
and console guys has just been like, no, it's you can't do it. Um, and I, I, I'm encouraged by in the past couple of years, there's been signs. Uh, Microsoft has been like kind of throwing out little hints that you know maybe we could do cross-platform. And you know, I, I think initially it was more a matter of, well, we'd do it if Sony did it. But now it's getting to the point where it's like, okay, you gotta you know shut up, like uh, put up or shut up. You know, let's see it. Let's see you like actually do it with PCs then. And exactly. um, yeah, yeah. I think. I, I think it was like a back and forth. Neither of them wanted to do it because the other bo- the other one wanted to do it. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? Yep. So neither Xbox or PlayStation wanted to to cross platform with console or with uh, with PC because the other one wanted it so bad. Yeah, yeah. It was kind of like a oh they want it so I don't want it kind of thing. Right. Well, and because certain- they don't want they don't want to be affiliated with the other. Yes. Because it's a competition thing. Yes. Well, in, in the terms of first-person shooters, which has sort of historically been what it's all about, you just you can't make it cross-platform because, honestly, your console people get destroyed. And this is one of those, I don't know, the PC Master Race Reddit things, but uh, the proportional controls that you get with a mouse and keyboard are, are, are literally faster than uh, the types, the, the response times that you can get on, you know, a, a Xbox or PS4 controller. Um, mm-hmm. So if you put like you know just a straight up and a straight up RPG, uh, and they they did this back in the Dreamcast days to kind of it was at the time it was to promote the Dreamcast, they they got the best uh, players of Quake in the world and they put them on Quake Three Arena on the Dreamcast Man. and they basically made them fight against you know whatever high school kids uh, that were were playing on the PC to prove that they could do pro- cross platform and these world class players were getting wrecked and. It's, it's, it's by definition, like if you're, if your cursor moves slower, <laughs> you know, if you, if you can't turn as fast as the other guy, it's, it's, you know, you just can't work around that. So, right. um, they, they and, had a, a, a hardware reason to say, okay, you know what? We're not even going to mess with this because that's what happens. But now that's not a problem yeah. so much. That's not that's less of an issue with uh, different genres. Right. The thing with elite dangerous, you know, your turning is strictly based on your ship's ability, Mm -hmm. you know, not, not following a cursor at, you know, whatever speed you set it to. No, it's, it's based on, you know, the, the turning ability of your ship. And I think that's why it would be more successful because you can't just have, have a mouse with a a super fast tracking speed Mm -hmm. and, uh, and turn much faster. You know, that's, that's not how it works. Right, right. And other games like Rocket League or other kind of competitive multiplayer games that don't rely on on a, a one-to-one ratio input like a mouse uh, would also work out just fine. It's it's mm-hmm. mainly just the first-person shooters that kind of limits it that way. So right. And and the thing with Rocket League, they also they have done cross cross platform with PC and Xbox. Yes. Yes. So so that's that's a a forward step in that direction. Which is uh, which is what a lot of people like seeing because you know, pers- me personally, I have friends that play console game or play uh, PC games, and you know, I have a console version. And it's like, oh well, we can't play together because it's not cross-platform. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, well, and you never want to split your audience. So I, I think it's going to breathe definitely. life into a lot of older games too. Is like not older, but different types of games uh, because mm-hmm. you know it's it's you you don't keep servers up for something that's only got a few hundred players but suddenly if you've got you know these different pools that used to be on different platforms and they can all play together with each other then it means your games are going to last longer like support's going to grow uh, communities are going to get stronger i think it can only help everyone 
yeah, I definitely agree with that. And uh, yeah, it'll it'll open up a lot more games. You know, older games. Yeah, we can say that because mm-hmm. older for games is five years plus. That's you know? true. Yeah, there's the the uh, shelf life for a lot of games only lasts as long as that console that they're currently on. You know? Yeah, and the way uh, the way Xbox is doing it, and I'm sure I think I think PlayStation's doing it too. But they have these. Uh, you know, they're starting to open up uh, backwards compatibility. Yes. So yes. So, you know, like I have digital games. I have a ton of digital games, you know, that maybe I got for free from the Xbox store or, you know, stuff like that mm-hmm. or got on sale for five bucks, you know, that yeah. I can now play on um, on Xbox One because I I never boot up my Xbox 360 because why? Why would I? Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and uh, I, I like that uh, BioWare or, or EA, either one, for uh, N7 Day this year, they uh, they opened up. Uh, two and three of Mass Effect for backwards compatibility. And I was happy. Cool. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> because, uh, because you know, I've got both copies of those, and now I can just pop them in and, and play them. Yeah. Which is great. Absolutely. No, I think the decision of Microsoft to kind of wait, and I don't know if it was a decision, I, the timing on the whole backwards compatibility thing still has me scratching my head. Like, I get how when your console's launching, you make it backwards compatible so people don't see giving up their existing library of games as a, a detriment, uh, as a barrier to buying your new console. But exactly. they made, they've been really pushing 360 compatibility years after the Xbox One came out. Like, that's only a relatively recent addition. Um, for, for that, I'm thinking it might have been a technical issue because why would they wait so long when everybody wants it? Yeah, you know, they're not making they're not making money on it. It's not something that that they're getting an extra pop profit on. Mm-hmm. You know, unless people are buying these older games. But you know, that's why it makes me think it's some they had a problem on their end. You know, yeah, and th- that's why it's taken so long. That could be it, and I'd like to see them continue with that in the future, even if it's all the way back to PS uh, or to, to 360. Because um, I think that backwards compatibility only helps. I, I've got a PS3 that I can still play PS1 games on, and I love uh-huh. it. I love doing that. Um, I want to see every console do that. And whenever this com- whenever they launch a new console and they say, you know what, people don't care about backwards compatibility, that you know, gets my blood pressure up and gets me screaming at the screen because, <laughs> no, no, I do care. I collect games and I have thousands of them. And well, there, are, there are a lot of people that do that too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, you're you're kind of punishing people for buying your products in the past. So, by discontinuing support on them when you do that, so I, I right. love that Microsoft has really embraced this philosophy. Yeah, I love it. It's uh, it kind of makes me think, you know, Nintendo can't really do that because unless they make it digital, you know, mm-hmm. you'd have to buy it again. But um, there's no way to play your old discs on a new console. Well, the, the, thing. the Wii U played Wii games. That's true. And, Other than that. And um, they've actually got kind of a record of making hardware to allow you to play games on one system or another. So, like, back on the Super NES days, you had a cartridge you could play Game Boy games on. Uh, the GameCube. I, I do have that. <laughs> oh, yeah, <laughs> the, that's awesome. The Super Game Boy. Super Game Boy, yep. And they did the same thing yep. for the, the Game Boy Advance and the GameCube. So they at least kind of were thinking in that direction. I think Nintendo's problem is they change medium every time they move it to a new platform. And yeah. just the physical incompatibility was what was hosing it more than anything else. Right. And like the, the 3DS could play 
uh, DS games. Right? Yes, yes. But the thing is, I don't think, I don't think the Switch will be able to play 3DS games, even though it's going to be a, a quote unquote portable game system. Yeah, I I see it being more of a a, a console type game system. The Switch, yeah, right. yeah. But they are switching back to cartridges, like like the like the 3DS. Right, but they're going to be a little bit more bulkier, and um, but yeah. But I'm excited to to see where that goes. Whenever they do the the whenever they push cartridges, it's usually because they're losing a big chunk somewhere from from piracy, uh, because mm-hmm. it costs more for them to make a cartridge than it does to make a disc. So if they're doing right. it, it's because I'm going to go ahead and say China probably is like making too many <laughs> you know uh, uh, copied games, you know, hacked you know, console hacks that you can play copied stuff and, and right. they're losing too much that way. So, um, but did you hear about all of the controversy with the Pokemon sun and moon hacking the hacking? No, I haven't. Tell me about this. So there were a good amount of people that got the game before it launched mm-hmm. via hacking, you know, via digitally downloading it by some means. Okay. And um Nintendo revoked all of their um accounts. Oh, okay. So they would so actually the lose access to all is, of their other games too. Yes. Ooh. Exactly. Hmm. Okay. Which I, I they're getting closer and closer to stopping that, you know, cuz if they find somebody's pirating, you know, unless they do it on a completely separate account right which people can't, couldn't do i don't think um they would lose all their games yeah yeah well it's it's funny because that level of like like people aren't used to that level of backlash like you know if you play mm-hmm. a pc game and you get caught you know okay well they you know i got a, an angry letter from the riaa or whoever or yeah. you know maybe they maybe they they terminate your copy and, and you have to go to the store and buy a new one but people aren't used to like losing all of their stuff access to everything forever yeah every like it's it's more used to having uh, one game taken away right right or you know not not everything they've purchased on the on the nintendo store wow which for all which for a lot of people that did that was a lot of games oh yeah yeah i've got i've got dozens of them i think i'd be really cheesed but oh yeah definitely but yeah, I mean, but on the other hand, I mean, there's always the whole like, well, then just don't pirate games thing. But I don't know, like they, I, <laughs> that's a good one. I could see that. Uh, that could be a problem for them. Yeah, and that was that was a a good step for Nintendo too. Yes, I think so. You know, it, they, was, it was a good scare tactic. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that actually is probably going to play dividends for them for years because these people are going to be less likely to do that in the future. I mean. You know, it's one thing where it's like, you know, slap on the wrist, but something like that is like, hey, you're out $200 worth of digital content. You know, that's that's not nothing. <laughs> and can't play any of your games again. Yes. You know? <laughs> like, oh, man. It's ridiculous. <sighs> that is pretty cool. Well, back to the lines of Elite Dangerous, just to mm-hmm. jump back there real quick. I got to say, um, recently I had a chance to pl- try the uh, the PlayStation VR gear, the the VR headset for the PlayStation. That's what, that was my next step, too. <laughs> <laughs> we oh, were man. both going the same direction. <laughs> well, I got to say, I played uh, like a little demo tutorial game of some space combat game, 
And it was amazing. So I can only oh, yeah. imagine how incredibly cool it will be if they can actually pull VR support into Elite for the PS4. Uh, because the gear they, they have for the PS4 are... is just second to none. It's really solid. Right. They are already making those moves for the PC versions. Okay. There, there is already compatibility. Like within the first year, there was compatibility. Ah, oh, beautiful. Okay. With, with the Oculus Rift. And then they moved to the Vive also, I believe. Not long after that, um, I remember. I remember. Uh, I heard people talking about uh, kind of fudging it mm-hmm. and uh, using like Google Cardboard. Yeah, yeah. You know, and putting putting the feed through their phone and everything. Mm-hmm. Like finding a way to to take the PC game and and route it through that to rig it, your yeah. mobile phone. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then getting VR that way, but. Um, but yeah, uh, there have been a bunch of steps forward in uh, in VR for Elite Dangerous, and um, I don't know if you've heard, but the next step for Microsoft is going to be their Project Scorpio. Right, right, the AR VR um, kind of melding, pretty much. And I think that's where they're moving towards, also, because now, right now, they have the PSVR, and I think that's why PlayStation has been kind of on the back burner. Because right. they've had this new technology, and then they've had to adapt that. And now I think they're trying to get that VR compatibility as well. And then, you know, now I think their next step will probably be uh, Project Scorpio for Xbox. Yeah. So, you know, I haven't heard all that much about Project Scorpio just because there isn't a whole lot to know about it yet. Right. I think some um, tech demos are about the closest I've seen to it. Yeah. Yeah. Same. But, but I think uh, it's got a lot of potential, so we'll see. Yeah, and I, and I, I, I think it's supposed to be compatible with all the other external VR devices. So with the Vive, with the with the Oculus Rift. Mm. So it should be. I think that's why they're waiting so long to do VR on Xbox is because they want to be able to have all these other external sources to VR instead of just selling their own version of it. Their own, yeah, yeah. Well, it's going to really be great to try because I'll tell you what, I, I, I played, um, well, the, one of the best-selling games for it is a, a, a space flight sim anyway called Valkyrie. Um, mm-hmm. But it's like uh, the, the whole spaceship cockpit thing really works well in VR um, because mm-hmm. you don't want to have anything where you're standing up, you're moving around. People are always like, you know, hey, I can hardly wait till it seems like I'm right in the middle of that first-person shooter you really don't want to be in the middle of that first-person shooter because it's not you know you run it's not like you know you're gonna be tripping over lamps and whatever you can't move at all if you're in vr what you want is something that looks like you're there if you happen to be sitting down and not moving which is exactly what the cockpit of a spaceship is going to be so driving games and and games like that are really i think the 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 strongest genres that they're going to be able to crack for vr and i can hardly wait to see what it what uh, elite looks like in that yeah, you you might go and and uh, listen to some podcasts about about that. I think there are a couple out there that that uh, spend an episode or two talking about you know VR and Elite Dangerous. Okay, and uh, because like the head tracking is great, you can look, you can like lean forward, and you'll lean forward in the cockpit and everything like that. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, and it seems uh, <laughs> I remember there's there's a way that somebody uh, um, you know they leaned forward and then they either lean forward or lean back and they, uh, you know, uh, recalibrated it. Right. And then they stood up and they looked around and, and they could see their, their person. 
<laughs> so you, you and, look around. Yeah, and the like, way the on. way it's mapped right now, the way it's designed, your character doesn't have a head. <laughs> <laughs> that can be dramatic. So it's just this it's just this body sitting in this chair with no head. Okay. Oh man. It's hilarious. I think there's pictures out there of it and it's it's hilarious. Oh wow. Well, yeah. I think that could only be really good. Like the the relatively limited games that I played when I I spent some time with it was they had like a tank game that was sort of a Tron feel to it, and uh, okay. it was Battlezone. I think the Battlezone remake. Um, and anytime they had you in a vehicle, it really clicked for me. Um, where it didn't work is where they had there was a, a work sim game where you had to be like kind of picking things up and you're 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 grabbing and you're you're trying to like you know manipulate, but it's not quite a hundred percent. But when you just got to use a regular controller and you were sitting like you were in a driver's seat, everything just really came together. Suddenly, like. I, I never really considered, like, you know, maybe looking my head to the right would actually be useful. But you pick up so much more, like, you know, situational awareness when you can look around the entire, you know, 180-degree field of vision and not just what's in front of you on the screen. It's, right. It's something else. Yeah, and with Elite Dangerous, on the console, you know, you have to click one of the sticks enabled to look around. Okay. In, inside the cockpit. And so that would give it the ability to keep flying and keep steering while looking around at like at your different you know terminals, right? Stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, uh, it's something that I look forward to, you know, in the future of Elite Dangerous and you know, and the Xbox and everything like that. So yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, but I would definitely suggest uh, picking that up when it when it comes available on uh, on PlayStation. I will. No, here's the deal. I actually have an Xbox One. I should. It sounds like I need to get the Xbox One version so I can play with you online. So exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, See now, Steve's thinking right. Now it's clicking. The only thing, the only thing I'm waiting for is for them to make me an actual disc for it. But you know what? I can. So I can. I can swing it. Maybe I'll download it. We'll see how that goes. Yeah, definitely. Um, I would. I would suggest getting the deluxe version that has the the DLC. The because. Yeah, yeah. It's it's called Horizons. Horizons, okay. And uh, that gives you access to patch 2.1, 2.2, which the the core game doesn't allow you to have. Okay. So there there are some things that uh, that you'll miss out on if you don't have that. Which which from a, a development point of view, I don't think that was a, the best choice. Right. But, um, just because it limits people uh, who who don't have the DLC and maybe can't get the DLC. Um, just to to not have the the best version of it, you know. Well, you never want to limit your player base, and that's consistently what they're or divide your player base, and that's kind of what they're doing in that case. But but the uh, the payoff for it is so much content. Okay. Like you don't you don't even you, <laughs> there's there's probably a list that you would pass out just <laughs> to see. <laughs> well, my of, understanding of what was all they updated. My understanding was that Horizons was mostly end game content in their update. Is that not the case? Uh, say that once more. My understanding was that uh, Horizons, uh, the DLC Horizons, was mostly mm-hmm. end game content. Like... It allows you to do different things and access different things. Okay. So, like, you can you can actually physically land on the surface of a planet, not just a station that's that's on the planet. And then you can use your rovers and and go across the planet and do little missions on the surface. Um, it allows a couple different things uh, that you you wouldn't get. And then 
I think they're coming out with three different updates for Horizons. That'll be like a commander update where you can actually um, like create your your pilot, your commander. Okay. To where like you could have his features or you know hair color, eyes, stuff like that. Um, I think there's going to be a, a pretty big ship update to where they'll they'll have new stuff for for your ships. And then one other thing I can't remember, um, but it'll it'll add a lot of things down the road too. Oh, okay. So those different updates that that come out that are for Horizons, it'll you know it'll add. It won't be a new DLC until they come out with a new DLC pack. Okay. Which is, I don't even know how long down the road. Uh, is they uh, are you're you're still always in the cockpit though, right? There's no like getting up and walking around type interaction y- stuff. Yes, correct. Okay. Okay. Um, I'm fine with that. Actually, <laughs> that was that was one of the updates. I think you will be able to go and walk around places. Oh, okay. Gotcha. Maybe. Maybe. I'm not sure. Okay. Um, I think it's more teased than anything, than than actually uh, confirmed. But okay. But yeah. Uh, if you do some research and and think you want to get in on Xbox, definitely consider that because we can we can play together. Sounds good to me. Okay. But yeah, Elite Dangerous is a great game, and it's it's a different game too. It's like you wouldn't think of, you know, I wouldn't have thought of of Elite Dangerous being as a, a game that keeps my attention as well as it does. You know. Well, I've heard nothing but good things, so yeah, I think I need to get it. One of the negative things that probably won't turn you off because mm-hmm. it didn't turn me off, it doesn't hold your hand. Okay. So the you know, there are basic tutorials, uh, tutorial videos, stuff like that. But once you get past those, it's kind of uh, you might have to figure out how to do it on your own or go ask for help or somebody. Okay. And uh, <laughs> docking is very difficult for the first few times. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, I, I know. I uh, <laughs> the, the B button is the boost button. And you don't want to hit that when you're docking. <laughs> <laughs> That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> There's just like black scorch marks all around the hangar opening. Is that how it works? Like, <laughs> so, so you're inside the hangar and you accidentally hit the B button when you're, when you're pretty close to the landing pad. Yeah. You blow up. <laughs> <laughs> because you boost into the, um, into the station yeah. right in front of you. <laughs> and uh, it's, it's not a fun time. <laughs> <laughs> oh man but uh but yeah other than that uh getting into the compute into the <clears throat> excuse me getting into the community and you know interacting with actual players and everything like that adds so much to the game okay you know that's a that's an aspect of the game that is not part of their build you know not part of the the technical aspect of it and it adds so much to the game hmm. so i would highly suggest that if you if you do get it um, but yeah, I, I found people on, you know, Xbox one has those clubs that you can join. Right. Right. And so I joined the elite dangerous club and met a bunch of people and then, you know, joined this faction and it's added so much that you can do because you get advice from people, you get ideas of what to do that you wouldn't have thought of because like I said, elite dangerous doesn't hold your hand in that aspect. You kind of have to figure things out for your own. 
Um, right. You kind of need that just, player support at that point. Like it, it actually, it'll help kind of bridge that gap. Yeah. Yeah. Because if you, if you don't have that community aspect and that cooperative aspect in, in that sense of communicating with people, you miss out on so much. You know, like I said, for the future, for okay. the first month or so I played, I didn't interact with anybody and I was okay. doing like the same thing over and over again. Mm. Um, because that's all I knew what to do. Right. Know? Right. So you, you get those ideas from different people and it's, uh, it opens, it opens up so many different avenues. Like you don't want to go bounty hunting on your own. Okay. <laughs> um, so you need to get together with people to do that. And then you learn how to fight better. You learn, uh, how your ship maneuvers, you learn what parts to get for your ship that'll make you better in a certain area. So, um, you can have five different ships and they can be all for a different purpose. So you can go to the station that they're, they're docked at and you can go switch out ships and, okay, I want to go trading. Oh, I'm going to go pick up my trade ship and there we go, go trade and then come back and get my bounty hunting ship because I'm bored with trading and I can go bounty hunting. So there's a bunch of things you can do because there's, there's mining also. So you can, you can go and grab a mining ship and, and collect resources and, and there's a bunch of different stuff. So that strikes me as a good idea. The, the switchable ships, I think, is a really great plan. Like, instead of trying to do, like, you know, do everything in one or, or be all things to all players, like, the ability to kind of customize your own layout and, like, like kind of design it uh, per whatever you want to do, I think gives a lot of player flexibility. I think that's smart. Yeah, absolutely. Right now, I'm just in one ship because uh, I upgraded from my, my beginner ship, the Sidewinder, um, not too long ago. But I picked a ship that's pretty well-rounded with everything. So all I do is switch out a couple modules and then then go, you know. So in that sense, you can do it if you have a ship you want to do two different things with. Okay. But if you, wanna, if you want a ship that does everything, you really can't. You need to buy a different ship, you know, that's, that's more specialized for whatever you want to do. Right, right. And maybe in the and beginning when you can't afford out. different ships, you, you do kind of have to make do. But that does seem like the, a cool thing to shoot for is like, you know, I'm going to specialize in this now and see how that goes. Right, absolutely. And, and that'll take uh, a little bit of community work because there are a lot of people that know more than, than you do. Mm-hmm. And uh, just getting that advice from them is, is has helped me a lot. You know, even the last couple of days when I've been playing, you know, it's um, I've I've found out thirty different things. Okay, know, yeah, so. yeah. And uh, yeah, it's a great community game, and it helps you a lot. Well, this has been Tabletop Radio Hour, a non-conventional episode of Tabletop Radio Hour, <laughs> and. Uh, like always, you can find this this episode on SoundCloud.com slash Tabletop Radio Hour and on iTunes. You can go give us some reviews on iTunes. Uh, it'll help us in the algorithms. You can also comment down at, uh, at the bottom of SoundCloud. Uh, you can give your comments a timestamp if there's something you like. And you can also find us on Twitter at TabletopCast if you have any questions or comments. Well, I thank you all for joining us, and we'll see you next time. <laughs>